Well, good morning. As Brother John said, I'm Derek's uncle, and we appreciate y'all taking him in. We about didn't know what to do with him over there, and we're just glad somebody's willing to put up with him. <laughs> okay, that's not true. <laughs> he took about half of our youth guys whenever he left, so we have a small youth group, and we miss Derek there, but we're glad that he can come and serve here. Trust that he can be a blessing. Uh, when Brother John asked if there was any testimonies, I was thinking of here just this past week. I'm not much of a hunter, but I like shooting a couple deer a year to put in the freezer. And Thursday evening, I took my son Lucas and we went out hunting. And we were at my dad's place, so he was playing with his cousins. And before he got there, he wanted to go hunting. And then after he was there playing with his cousins, he wasn't quite sure if he wanted to leave them to go hunting or not. But finally he said, yeah, I'll go hunting. And so we went out and we sat there and we were there for probably an hour and a half or so and nothing was coming out. It was getting cold and he was wishing he was back with his cousins then. And I said, well, should we pray and ask God to send out a deer? And he said, yeah. And so we prayed and Asked God if it was His will to send a deer out. And what do you know? Fifteen minutes later, two does came walking out. And God answered. Anyway, I was just amazed. You know, where I hunt, I don't necessarily expect to see something every time I go. But yet, God cares enough to answer our little things. Things that really don't matter at all in light of eternity. But He cares. And I want to thank Him and praise Him for that. The message I have for this morning, it came to my mind one day as I was thinking about my physical health. I've titled it, How Bad Do You Want It? And kind of what got my thoughts going is I was wondering if what if I would only eat what was the absolute healthiest for my physical body? Every time I was sitting down at the table I would, and the things, food was coming past, I would ask, what is best for my physical health? You know, I probably would take a few more vegetables when it came past and probably not quite so much cake and ice cream. Or whenever I was eating my vegetables, would I use ranch or would I just eat it plain? You know, if it was the absolute healthiest, what is the absolute best for my physical health? You know, those, Derek, and I don't know if Chris knows me well enough to know this, but I, I like my cookies and my candy and my Mountain Dew and you know I, I kind of enjoy that but as I thought about this you know if I would eat what is absolute best for my body I'm pretty sure that I probably would feel a little better I probably wouldn't struggle so much with health issues. You know, right now I don't really face it, but later on in life you see people who don't eat healthy and we see what happens. They start having heart problems and different issues with their body because they don't eat healthy. I know it probably would make a difference on down the road, but it doesn't really affect me right now. And so whether consciously or subconsciously, I have made the decision that I'm willing to sacrifice the health issues that will possibly come because of the way I eat for the enjoyment that I get out of it right now. That kind of sobered me when I thought of that. 
Sadly, I haven't really changed my diet any. But then I had to think of that in a spiritual sense. What if everything that I put into my spiritual life, I would first ask, is this what is best for my spiritual life? It's not the right or wrong question anymore. You know, I like to ask the right or wrong question. What's wrong with it? But what if I was asking what is best? When I was picking up a book to read, is this the best thing I can read for my spiritual life right now? Or when I'm turning some music on, is this the best music for my spiritual life? How often do we consciously or subconsciously make the decision that we're willing to sacrifice a little bit of our spiritual health for the enjoyment of right now? You know, the sobering thing is, is that later on, just like in my physical health, we will face the consequences for the decisions we make. You know, how much of our life does God want? Is He satisfied with 80% of it? Surely, 90%. You know, if I ate 90% healthy food, I would be feeling pretty good about myself. How much of my life does God want? I think we all know the answer to that question. You know, I like to think that if I just exercise and live a healthy life or an active lifestyle and watch my weight that that's good enough and I can still enjoy the food that I like to enjoy my wife and I have this little joke that whenever there's some food that I don't really care for I I say it tastes healthy rather than saying I don't like it I say it tastes healthy it kind of has the idea that anything healthy doesn't really taste good, right? You know, I want to. We can kind of have that mindset in our spiritual life too. That if we don't enjoy it, that that's what's best. Well, that's a wrong mindset, and I want to be clear on that too. Just because it's something that we have to give up ourselves that we don't enjoy, does not mean that that is what's best for our life. The Christian life does take a lot of self-denial. And so that is often the case. But what I want to look at this morning is what are we really looking for in our spiritual life? And how bad do you want it? You know, how bad do I want my future health? How bad I want it will determine how I live now. There's a verse in Matthew 5, 6. We're going to learn, look at James chapter 4 mainly, but there's Matthew 5, verse 6. says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Who are the blessed ones? It's those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know, I don't think of it much as a, of a blessing to hunger and thirst. I like to be filled. But you know, there's a promise here in this verse that if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, if we want what is right, we shall be filled. It's a promise. 
It's a guarantee. What are we hungering and thirsting for? The promise here is that if we hunger and thirst after God, we will be filled. That filled is to gorge, to fill in abundance. There won't be anything left. If you hunger and thirst for what's right, there is consequences, good consequences. We are as close to God as we want to be. We may not be as close to God as we think we want to be, but we are as close to God as we really want to be. If we hunger and thirst after Him, we will be filled. God promises that if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, He will fill us. The problem is not that God is not filling us. The problem is that we are not hungering and thirsting after Him. A.W. Tozer says, Sound Bible exposition or teaching is an imperative must in the church of the living God. Without that teaching, no church can be a New Testament church in any strict meaning of the term. But teaching may be carried on in such a way as to leave the hearers devoid of any true spiritual nourishment whatsoever. For it is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God Himself. And unless and until the hearers find God in personal experience, they are no better for having heard the truth. And as I was studying for this, that thought struck me with the responsibility that leaders have in giving the truth, teaching the truth. That is a responsibility that we have. But if he says here, that it is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself. I cannot make any choices for any of y'all. Unless and until the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not better for having heard the truth. If you personally don't find God in personal experience, coming to church every Sunday will do you absolutely no good in light of eternity. You are as close to God as you want to be. James chapter 4, I'm going to read the first 10 verses. It says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, and yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace... Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. From whence come wars and fightings among you?
Maybe y'all don't ever feel that in your heart. The unsettled feelings. Uncertainties. Where does that come from? It says here, they come even of your own lusts that war in your members. What am I seeking in life? What are you seeking in life? Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You know, we see this all around us and we like to look at everybody else and see their problems. We see people looking for fulfillment, looking for satisfaction and stuff. And we can kind of put them in this picture. Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and ye war. Desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye ask and receive not. And we can see their problem. But let's look at ourselves this morning. How often do we find ourselves in that same rat race? Trying to find fulfillment in work, in acceptance from others. That's where we find our fulfillment at. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. He goes on, verse 4, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. What is friendship with the world? Who are, you friend, who are you friends with? What does it mean to be a friend? You're naturally friends with people that you see things as you do. Enjoy things that you do. People who understand you. If you are a friend of the world, you see things that the world sees them. You enjoy the things the world enjoys. You understand the world and its desires. If you are the friend of the world, you are the enemy of God. There's no middle ground. You can't have some of both. Either you're a friend of the world or you're the friend of God. Who are we friends with? You know, he goes on there in verse 5. The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy. We have our flesh, that we are constantly going to have to battle with. And then verse 6, he says, but God giveth more grace. And that's one sentence in itself. And then he goes right back on, wherefore God saith, God resisteth the proud. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And I had to wonder why he threw that little phrase in there, but God giveth more grace. You know, I don't want us to condemn ourselves this morning for struggling. Because when you quit struggling and you just let it all go, then there's no question. Struggling is a sign that you there's still a battle going on. Keep struggling. Keep seeking God. And that's why I think that little phrase in there, God giveth more grace. Cry out to God for grace. Ask Him for forgiveness when we fail. But what are you seeking? 
And how bad do you want it? You know, we like to kind of blur the lines. He says you're a friend of here. He says you're either a friend of the world or a friend of God. In the last part of verse six, he said, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. That makes it seem a lot more serious. Because not only is it what side are you on, God is either for you or against you as well. He resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Where do we want to be? Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. You know, submission really isn't that difficult. It's just giving up. But yet, it is difficult because of what we have to give up and that's self. But you know, whenever we can come to that point where we just lay it down, give it up, it is so freeing. Just give it up. Trust Him. And in submission is authority. I like how verse first there he says, submit yourselves therefore to God and then resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, when my boys go to the drawer and they want to get some candy, if the one goes for the candy and the other one sees him going, he's going to say, hey, you're not supposed to get any candy. Because they know they're not supposed to do it without permission. But if he says, well, dad told me I could, suddenly it's all okay because he has authority. Because he has submitted to my authority. And that's what I see here in this verse. Submit yourselves therefore to God and then you can resist the devil. Because you're submitted to God. In submission, there is authority. There is strength. Up until we submit, we have no authority. We have no strength. If you are not submitting to God and you're trying to resist the devil, you're fighting a losing battle. Verse 8. I really appreciate this verse. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. That's a promise that God is always there. God never leaves. If you're feeling far away from God, He's still there. He hasn't left. If I'm feeling far away from God, it's because I've left. But there's that promise that if I draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to me. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Give it up. Often we know a lot more of what God is asking of us than we really like to admit. You know, whenever we face something that we're just really struggling with, if we were really honest with ourselves, we know what God wants more than what we'd like to admit. Cleanse your hands. You sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. And then verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. 
You know, when we can just humble ourselves and give it up, submit. Sometimes it feels like we're just falling flat on our face, just giving up. But when we do that, He says that He shall lift you up. Just give it up. You don't have to carry it anymore. You can be free. But the question is, how bad do you want it? We have the answers all right here. We know what we have to do. But how bad do we want it? I brought two suckers with me this morning. Is there any children here who want one? You want one? All right, tell you what. If you run out to that main entrance door and come running back in as fast as you can, I'll give it to you. You want it? Uh, you don't want it? Do you want it? If you do it, I'll give it to you. Yeah, run out to the main door, run through the closed door and to the main door and come running back and I'll give it to you. Chris, you want a sucker? I'm good. <laughs> How come she was willing to do it for a sucker, but Chris wasn't? She wanted it worse than Chris does. How bad do you want it? Chris knows that he can stop by the gas station on the way home and pick one up if he really wants one. How bad do we want a relationship with God? Are we willing to put the sacrifice into it that we know it's going to take? What is it worth to us? The sucker was worth a lot more to her than it was to Chris. How bad do we want it? Matthew 13, verse 44. It's one verse. I guess you could call it a parable. Jesus said what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he has several of these one verse stories in a row here. But all I want to look at is Matthew 13, verse 44. He says, again... The kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. And so I use my imagination a little bit of what this would look like. So here's this man plowing this field, and he something bumps, and he, there's no rocks in the field, and so he wonders what it is. And he sees a little piece of wood down there, so he starts digging, and he finds a treasure chest. And this treasure chest is worth way more than what he's ever seen before. And I imagine that he must have had the field leased 
or something. He was working the field. And let me go with my imagination a little bit. Bear with me. The person he has leased the field from had asked him several years ago, would you want to buy this field? But they just didn't have enough money at the time, and so he continued just leasing the field and using it. So now, he finds this treasure chest that has way more money than he can ever imagine. And he remembers, the man told me he would sell me this field. Do we have enough? Quick, buries it all and hides it all and runs back home that evening and says, Honey, guess what happened today? You know that field over there that neighbor Bob said he would sell to me? Well, I was plowing it and something bumped and I dug it up and there's a million dollars worth of gold in the box. He told me he would sell it to me for $10,000. Do you think if we would sell everything we have, we could get it? I mean, think. We could have a million dollars. So they start counting everything up. Their house is worth $7,000. Their donkey is worth 1000 Their furniture, everything. I think we might can do it. And so they put out a moving sale sign in the yard. Everything's for sale. People start stopping by. What's for sale? Everything, everything. How much you want for that couch? Yes, it's for sale too. I've been looking for a washer and dryer. Buy it. Everything. Let's sell it. They get to the end. He sold all that he had. And he had enough to buy the field. How bad did he want it? Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. How bad do you want it? You know, we use the term sold out. That's what this man was. He was sold out. He sold all that he had. That's how bad he wanted it. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 22. And I don't know that I'll read this story. Just skip down through a few verses. The story of Abraham. When God asked him to offer up Isaac. Maybe we will read through it quickly. It's a little bit... The long, read verses 22 verses 1 through 14. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And this was after Isaac had already been born to Abraham and Sarah. And he said, Take now thine son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac said unto Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. 
And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. We read this story, and why did God ask Abraham to offer up Isaac? And I don't know if I'm right in this, but I think that Abraham had started to allow Isaac to become so important in his life that I wonder if he wasn't starting to take the place of God that Abraham valued Isaac so high. Have you ever seen an older couple that can't have children, they finally have a child? Or a family that only has one child? The way they protect that child? I have a neighbor man who... His, he had one son, and his one son has one daughter... So it's the only grandchild they have, probably the only one they ever will have. And the way they protect that little granddaughter, I mean, they have a place set in the backyard, but she can hardly climb up the ladder because they're scared she's going to fall. That's how much protection they, I mean, they just, they watch every move. I don't know if Abraham was quite <laughs> to that extent, but this was the only child God had promised this child. I think they probably protected him pretty close. And I wonder if Abraham hadn't started to allow Isaac to take a little bit of God's place in his heart. And when God saw that, he was jealous. God's not satisfied with 80% of us, with 90% of us. He wants all. And so God asked Abraham to offer up Isaac. Now, was Isaac a bad thing? No. There's no question in our mind. Isaac was a good thing. He was given by God. But yet God wanted him to give him up. You know, Isaac wasn't just a five or six year old boy either. I don't know how old he was, but he was carrying the wood up the mountain. If he's carrying wood up a mountain, I assume he's probably at least 16, 17, 18. I don't know how high the mountain was, but it was a mountain they were going up and he was carrying wood for a burnt offering on top of it. So I assume he's an older boy. And Abraham, well, he was 
was it 99 whenever Isaac was born and this is 15, 16, 17 years later? Abraham's 115. And I don't know how it all went, how Isaac got up on the altar, but I don't picture a 115-year-old man lifting up a 16, 17-year, 18-year-old boy and putting him on the altar. I picture Abraham talking with Isaac and explaining what God had asked. And what I see in that is just a complete surrender, both Abraham and Isaac, to God's plan. And I can't imagine what all went through their minds. In Hebrews, it says that Abraham trusted that God could raise Isaac from the dead if he went through with it. But I guess the thought that I want to look at this morning is that Isaac was not an evil or a wicked thing. But God wanted Abraham to give him up. And God didn't make him give it up. God let Abraham go on and raise Isaac then. But He wanted Abraham to be willing to give it up. And as we look at our lives, is there anything in my life even good things that I'm not willing to give up if God would ask it of me. Whether it's my home, my friends, my job, maybe good things. But if God asks us to give it up, are we willing? How bad do we want a relationship with God? How much is it worth to you? Are you willing to sell all that you have? Is there something that God is asking us to lay on the altar? Even good things. Are we willing to give it up? How bad do you want it? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.